Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. The measles have been described as an eliminated disease in the United States, beaten by decades of systematic vaccinations that prevent the disease from spreading, especially among children. Since the year 2000, it has been virtually non-existent. But there have been 34 confirmed cases of measles in Michigan this year. 33 of them are in Oakland County and one is in Wayne. So how on earth is that happening with a disease that we believed to have beaten some almost 20 years ago? And what should we be doing to stop it? That's where we want to begin the conversation here on Detroit Today with the discussion of the measles and the bigger discussion of vaccinations. Think of these parents who are saying very passionately that they don't want to vaccinate their kids against diseases like the measles. They believe that's their right. They believe they have a personal individual right to hold their kids back from vaccinations. But the question is where those rights end and the rights of everyone else to be free of communicable diseases begins. Where does the government's ability to control the spread of those diseases begin? That's what we want to talk about this hour. And of course, we want to hear from you. How are you reacting to this measles outbreak here in southeast Michigan? Are you taking any special precautions? Have you ever had the measles or do you know someone who has had it? And what do you make of the fact that this disease is now back and maybe really spreading here in southeast Michigan? Do you vaccinate your children? If not, tell us why. Are you somebody who says you have an individual right to decide what happens to your children and vaccinations are not something that you want them exposed to? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll work you into the conversation. And joining us now to talk more about this issue is Dr. Tina Chopra. She's an associate professor of internal medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases at Wayne State University School of Medicine. Dr. Chopra, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good morning. So let's start with uh, what is happening and why. 34 cases of measles here in southeast Michigan in the year 2019. How is that possible? Right. So measles, uh, you know, like you said, it was eliminated in 2000. Um, it's, it's when they, when CDC says it's eliminated, it's not like it's not, it's not present at all. It's present, but it's not constantly present throughout the year. There are, there are few cases here and there because non-immune people traveling to outside countries where they don't uh, vaccinate as much as they do in U.S., they travel and they bring it to the U.S. and they, uh, transmitted to other non-immune, uh, which means unvaccinated individuals. So, um, however, in 2000, we reached a stage where it wasn't constantly present. We had very few cases throughout the year. So it was declared that it's eliminated. But now what's happening is uh, with this anti-vaxxer movement and with this uh, individual to travel to other countries where vaccination rates are low, like UK and Africa and Asia, they bring measles with them. And measles is not like any other disease. It's a very contagious virus with a very high attack rate. So if uh, uh, if a person with measles is in a room, it's 
there is 90% chance that other people who are not vaccinated in the room will get measles. So the attack rate with one case of measles is as high as uh, transmission to about 12 to 18 other people uh, getting it, uh, you know, in the same room. Mm. So uh, that's how it is spreading so fast. And it is it's a different beast we are dealing with. And, um, you know, so much the problem is so it's a public health threat at this point. And um, so much so it has the the vaccine hesitancy has reached the top 10 threats, global threats in the WHO list, mm-hmm. which so, is huge yes, and sad. it is. So let's talk about, though, for parents who've already vaccinated their children. Is there any worry they should have about this? And is there anything they should be doing to try to further protect their kids? That's a great question. So if uh, if the child has received two doses of MMR vaccine, then they are 97 to 98% protected. So they don't have to worry. If they have documented two doses of MMR, they are fine. Any individual who doesn't have documentation of um, in the records of um, MMR vaccine or they don't remember should go ahead and get vaccinated because we don't know who are we mingling with and which public uh, places are we going where people are not vaccinated and the exposure um, and we are getting exposed to measles or not because measles incubation period is up to three weeks. So the the other uh, unique thing of this virus is that it is going to be in your body for three weeks and you won't even feel any symptoms and you would be in those three weeks, you would be spreading it to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, what are public health officials uh, learning from this outbreak, and and what is the what should the public health response be to what we're seeing? I think public. That's a great question. What we are learning. I mean, we are in a crisis mode, and public health officials are learning about um, from other examples, from New York City, for example, you know, they have banned in one of the counties, they've banned unvaccinated children to come in, into the public. I mean, we are at that stage. And uh, um, it, I think the major lesson is uh, to promote vaccination, to put more resources and more funds into uh, understanding, doing surveillance for vaccination making sure we have good documentation of vaccination for everybody, not only children, but also adults, and uh, putting more resources into promoting vaccination and, and uh, having legislative laws where we don't, we, we ban religious, religious exemptions or other exemptions on anti-vaxxers. Uh, my, desk, my guest is Dr. Tina Chopra. She's an associate professor of internal medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases at Wayne State University School of Medicine. We're talking about the measles outbreak that we're experiencing here in southeast Michigan. 34 confirmed cases in southeast Michigan, 33 of them in Oakland, one of them in Wayne. Uh, this is tied closely to the movement of parents who have decided that vaccinations for their kids are something they're going to 
forego. They are not going to subject their kids to those uh, vaccinations that all of us who grew up in the 70s and 80s remember uh, doing without any sort of thought. Um, uh, We want to hear from you as well. What do you think about this outbreak? What do you think uh, the precautions that we should be taking ought to look like? And what do you think public policy ought to look like here? Should parents be able to decide not to vaccinate their kids, given that that not only affects their children, but affects Lots of other people. Uh, Where do individual rights end and the common good, the idea of the common good, especially from a public health perspective, where does that begin? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start with Claire in Ferndale. Claire. What's on your mind? Hi. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm a mother of a nine-month-old, and we um, are really adamant about vaccinations. But I live in a community where a huge percentage of the parents I know are opting out, so to speak. Um, and it scares me. I um, don't think they should be allowed to send their kids um, to public schools. And I also um, I understand that it's scary to have a child. Um, but I think the culture of mistrust and suspicion about the medical community is misguided. Mm. And there are some things that we need to trust are good for our children and good for the wider community. So, Claire, I, I wonder when you talk with parents about this and hear that they're not vaccinating their children, what do they say? Why do they why do they choose? Why do they are? Why do they make that choice? So there's the autism argument, which has been obviously disproven a bunch of times. But there's also just this seems to be this resistance because it's mandated in general like i can do what i want for my child you know the choices are in my hands but i think partially because the diseases that vaccinations protect against have mostly been eradicated they don't understand the threat which seems to be circular logic to me Hmm. but since they don't see how terrible these diseases are and you know how they can wreak havoc on our communities and the world at large they don't understand how imperative it is Hmm. claire i really appreciate the call and uh, the comments, um, uh, we, we also had a caller who couldn't stay on the line, uh, but he says that he's concerned about ingredients in vaccines, that he says if you read the inserts in some of the vaccines themselves, they talk about harmful chemicals that are in them. Dr. Chopra, can you talk about um, how safe vaccinations are and this idea that people are sort of pushing back against them um, because of this this fear of harm to their children. Sure. You know, any vaccine can cause some side effects that are in that include really feeling fatigued, a viral like illness, you know, uh, soreness in the arm where the vaccine is given. I mean, those can happen with any vaccine. And very serious side effects, you know, severe anaphylaxis or like that um, is very, very, very rare. With me, with MMR, for example, it is maybe one in 100,000 patients, you know, so it's really rare. And um, we, uh, in general, uh, vaccines are very, very safe. Um, this myth about vaccines causing autism is was debunked. It was a it was a study that did, um, that really was withdrawn. Uh, you know, the scientist who had published the study um, was uh, did not use uh, good designs to do the study. It was flawed, 
and uh, you know this is this study actually really triggered a lot of parents and uh, the society to believe that it causes autism but uh, we have better studies now proving that that's not true and that study has been withdrawn so i think in general um uh, we all should be aware that vaccines are very safe uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Claire, thanks very much for the call. Uh, let's go to Alan in West Bloomfield. Alan, welcome to Detroit today. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I mentioned to your person, um, I'm old enough to remember when you could not go to public school if you didn't have a vaccination record. You were given time to do it, but polio was uh, was rampant at the particular time, mm-hmm. and the vaccine salt could just come out with. And it was get vaccinated or don't show up. Uh, that that was a, a true health uh, crisis. And the same thing goes with these other kinds of diseases. They aren't eliminated. Uh, there was a huge cyclone or, or a typhoon in one of the islands. Uh, World Health Organization sent something like 900,000 doses for cholera. Uh, this stuff hasn't gone away. Hmm. Public public safety in this sense, in this situation really demands that people be vaccinated. Can there be some bad effects? Occasionally, very rarely. We know how to do vaccines now, but this has got to get done. Otherwise, you're going to have this kind of an outbreak because people just think they can ignore it and they'll be fine. Yeah, uh, Alan, Alan, I appreciate the call uh, and, and the comments. Uh, Dr. Chopra, I know you don't make public policy, about these things, but but what do you think the public policies ought to look like in terms of how we react to parents who make this choice to keep their kids out of the, the vaccination herd, so to speak? Like I said before, you know, we are um, now in a crisis mode, and that's when policies, um, they, they, they change, and people really take it seriously, and uh, I believe, like Alan said, you know, I believe you, uh, in the same thing that we have to enforce it. We have to enforce vaccination. We know it's good. It is the best thing for our community. And we uh, public policy should state this uh, and uh, talk about specified exemptions. You know, that there shouldn't be uh, there shouldn't be any exemptions mm. as far as vaccination is concerned, other than. Uh, individuals who really have medical reasons, you know, bona fide contraindications where, you know, they are immunocompromised. Mm. They have uh, lower immunity and they cannot get vaccinated. Uh, speaking of that, uh, we've actually got a caller who has that issue, and I want to roll her into the into the conversation here. Mary sure. in Birmingham, go ahead. Oh, hi. Yeah. Hi. Um. So I have a four-month-old, and um, he's not eligible for the MMR vaccine yet. He's too little. And so I've read stories suggesting that I should be getting him something called immune serum globulin. Um, but they, uh, I've also seen conflicting reports that uh, he's only eligible for that treatment if he's been to a known exposure site. So mm. could you clarify what, what we should be doing to mm. protect sure. the little people? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, CDC is actually recommending if, uh, you have a little baby. If you go on the CDC website, they are saying that if they are less than 12 months of age um, and there is a risk of exposure or you could still and you think that, you know, you are in a place where you have an outbreak situation, yes, you should give them the MMR vaccine. It won't be, uh, it won't build up the same immunity that it, it would in a 12-month-old baby. 
uh, and when your baby reaches the 12 month age you can repeat the mmr series again so that's the latest recommendation from cdc hmm. as far as the ivig the immunoglobulin this that is reserved for cases where the the child or an adult is actually exposed to a case of measles and they are not eligible to get the um, the vaccine either because they are too little like your child is or their immune systems are weak you know like we are dealing with patients who are immunocompromised and that's when we have we offer them the ivig so um if you are planning to travel somewhere into a country where there will there's an outbreak going on um you can be eligible your baby can be eligible to get the mmr vaccine even at a younger stage less than 12 months of age but you have to remember that you have to repeat the mmr series at when your baby is 12 months of age hmm. so that's the latest recommendation from cdc okay dr tina chopra associate professor of internal medicine at the wayne state university school of medicine thanks very much for joining us here on detroit today thank you all right, next, we're going to talk with a medical professional who's working to optimize the prevention of childhood infectious diseases through vaccines. Uh, stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Cliff in Detroit, Amy and Dryden, we will get to you as well. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. We're talking right now about the measles, a measles outbreak here in southeast Michigan. 34 confirmed cases in the state this year. 33 of those are in Oakland County. One of them is in Wayne County. And we're talking about the connection between that outbreak and this movement of parents who say they don't want to get their kids vaccinated. Uh, against diseases like the measles. For decades now, vaccinations are the way we have controlled communicable diseases, deadly diseases. In fact, uh, there is a movement of parents now who say they feel that that vaccination process puts their children at risk and they don't want to do it. Uh, what that does, of course, though, is reintroduce the possibility of diseases that we have all but eliminated from existence here in the country, uh, it gives them a chance to reappear. And that's what's happening with measles. This was a disease that in the year 2000 was made virtually non-existent. Now we are seeing outbreaks uh, around the country. Uh, as always, we want to hear from you. Uh, what do you think about these outbreaks? What do you think should be done? What do you think of the idea of parents not vaccinating their kids? What are their rights there? And where should those rights end and the concerns about public health begin. Uh, as always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. And joining us now to talk more about this is Dr. Dan Salmon. He is director of the Institute for Vaccine Safety at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, where he works on optimizing 
the prevention of childhood infectious diseases via vaccines. Uh, Dr. Salmon, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. So what does this outbreak uh, tell us about the dangers of this anti-vax movement in America today? How concerned should people be? Well, so I don't know the details of the outbreak you've had in Chicago, but what we've seen over the past 20 years uh, with measles outbreaks is, as you said, we've eliminated measles from the U.S. back in 2000, which means at most point in time there isn't an ongoing outbreak. And what happens is somebody goes to a part of the world where there is measles and they bring it back usually to a community where enough people have refused the vaccine that it's caused an outbreak. And these vaccine refusals tend to be clustered either geographically or socially. And examples of the geographic clustering would be places like in Washington State or California where while on the state level most people are vaccinated in certain communities, more and more people are refusing. And then we see the social clustering like outbreaks among Orthodox Jews in New York and Somali populations, the Amish populations. And this really creates the potential for an outbreak. Typically, people are going to Europe and coming back with measles, and and that's because there's a lot of measles in Europe. They've had a lot of refusal of the vaccine. Mm. They've had tens of thousands of cases. Children have died. Uh, there's a lot of measles in Africa, but not so many people travel from the U.S. to Africa. We've seen importation from Israel and from the Philippines. And, and this is the story, so I don't know the details of what is happening in Chicago, but I suspect it probably looks something like this because that's how most of the outbreaks have been. And when you talk about uh, uh, these these kinds of diseases, so this is measles, which, of course, is curable. Um, the, the movement, though, against vaccinations, I guess, portends the reintroduction of far more dangerous diseases into the population. How concerned should we be about that? Well, you know, measles can be a very serious disease. Uh, If you look at what's happening in Europe, children have died. Mm. So I wouldn't underestimate the uh, potential risk of measles, but there are other diseases as well. We've seen a lot of pertussis in the U.S. and resurgence of pertussis. And studies we've done have found that this clustering of vaccine refusal is contributing to that to that those outbreaks. Um, measles is easier to study because outside of these sorts of introductions, there's not much measles. Measles is spread really easily, and the vaccine is really protective. Two doses protects 97% of people, so it's kind of the the canary in the coal mine. And when we start to see problems with measles, it tells us that. There are, at least there's the potential for other diseases to come back. Mm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Uh, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's start with Cliff in Detroit. Cliff, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, hello, guys. Uh, I appreciate you taking my call. Um, look. Uh, I don't take my children to the Democratic Republic of Congo because I don't want them exposed to Ebola. But if you choose to do that and bring your child into my child's school, then now it's your responsibility 
to protect my child, but that's, uh, to me, unacceptable because it's always my responsibility to protect my child. But now you put my child in danger. So as long as it's not law to get the vaccine, get a vaccine, mm-hmm. then how is, am I to protect my child? Yeah, that's a great question, Cliff. I, I really appreciate the call. Uh, Dr. Solomon, uh, talk about this this idea of how to protect yourself and your children uh, when there are other people who have refused to get vaccinations. Is there is there a way to, to make sure that uh, we don't all uh, stand at higher risk of getting sick? Yeah, so it's a great question because it really gets at the community impact of vaccine decisions. So in the case of vaccines, what I do for my child obviously impacts my child, but also, as the caller points out, it could impact other children. And uh, if your child is old enough to be vaccinated and gets two doses of measles vaccine, it's it's very effective, but 97% of people will be protected, 97% of children, but that means that 3% are still vulnerable. You also have people whose children are too young to be vaccinated, like your previous caller, and you have children that can't be vaccinated for medical reasons. For example, if a child has cancer and is going through chemotherapy or radiation, they can't be vaccinated. And these are really our most vulnerable people, and they're depending on everyone else getting vaccinated to protect them. So I think it's a great question. The The best thing you can do is to vaccinate your child. Um, Outside of that, uh, it's really a community issue. It's up to each parent to do the right thing, not just by their child, but to protect other children. When we talk about these vaccines, a lot of times we do hear people say, well, it's the risk of the vaccine that I'm trying to protect my child from. That's why I don't want to expose them to it. Can you talk about the actual risks of vaccines? What what are you potentially opening your child up to if you if you have them vaccinated? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So vaccines are extremely safe. But, you know, safety is on a continuum. Nothing is absolutely safe. Um, If you look at the vaccines that we routinely use today in the United States, they either cause minor adverse reactions, things like a low-grade fever, maybe some achiness. Um, And for serious adverse reactions, they're incredibly rare. So, for example, if you look at the flu vaccine, Studies have shown that it can cause Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a pretty serious neurological condition in about one to three per million people vaccinated. So that's a really small risk. And and then ultimately, one needs to consider both risks and benefits. So while the risk is very small, there's a lot of benefits to it. And in the end of the day, that's how we make decisions, right? We weigh risks and benefits. The challenge is, is that frequently people... Uh, overestimate the risks around vaccines, and many of the concerns people have are not supported by science, and frequently there's a lot of science showing that it's not, in fact, caused by vaccines. Autism would be the most controversial topic, and it's been really well studied, and this is where we see a lot of concerns around the MMR vaccine, and there's been 14 studies that have been done uh, across the world by different scientists using different methods and different populations. And all 14 of those studies found no relationship between the vaccine and autism. Mm. So 
you know, you have real risks that have been shown. There have been a lot of studies that have been done. And in many cases, as with autism, despite the fact that the science is very compelling, you still have people that have concerns. Okay, again, thanks very much for the call and the questions. Uh, let's go to Jacob in Pontiac. Jacob, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a biomedical sciences student at Oakland University, and in my current biomedical ethics class, we've been talking a lot about the issue of vaccine hesitancy. I think one of the most interesting issues that we've uh, stumbled upon in our discussions is that of how anti-vaccination stances will actually push forward the evolution of new adaptive traits in viruses and bacteria. It's something that doesn't get discussed a lot, and actually the anti-vaccination side has certain um, pseudoscientific arguments as to why vaccination is causing humans not to evolve to deal with these bacteria and viruses. But the opposite has been shown to be true. Vaccination is a prophylactic measure against having viruses and bacteria spend a lot of time inside of human bodies. And since they're not able to spend that time inside of human bodies adapting to our adaptive immune system, hmm. they don't take on traits that allow them to evade our immune systems, and they don't take on traits of high virulence when they are uh, hmm. prophylactically you know, prevented from causing these infections. Um, and I think that that danger is, is far greater than even the dangers of the purported dangers of vaccinating your children, um, because then we're going to have to approach this from an entirely new vaccination schedule, and people are going to be hurt. Yeah. Uh, Jacob, I really appreciate the call and you injecting that point into the conversation here. Uh, Dr. Solomon, Talk about the danger of letting something like measles make a resurgence and whether that could cause us other kinds of problems. In other words, as, as Jacob points out, could it become uh, more deceptive and more dodging of the efforts that we have now that we know can defeat it? Yeah, so it really depends on the disease. Um, measles is a very stable virus. It doesn't tend to change very much. So the risk of measles somehow adapting and evolving is, is really quite low. Um, the larger issue here is what's called strain replacement. So when you have certain strains of a disease covered in a vaccine and the vaccine is able to reduce those strains, there's a hypothetical or theoretical concern that other strains may become more prominent. And this is really more on the theoretical side. It hasn't, it hasn't happened in real life, but with some viruses that do evolve, there's the potential for that. I mean, the risk of measles is that we're going to see what's happened in Europe happen in the U.S., which is that creates a foothold and causes a lot of disease. And that's really what our big concern is. Okay. Dr. Dan Salman is the director of the Institute for Vaccine Safety at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Thanks very much for joining us here on Detroit Today. All righty. Thank you. Up next, we're going to continue our conversation about measles with a medical historian who can give us some context about the measles in the past so we better understand what's happening with the disease right now. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Aaron in Detroit, Amy in Dryden, uh, Jess in Pontiac. Uh, we will get to you next. Stay with us on Detroit Today.
You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for joining us. We're talking this hour about communicable diseases like the measles, which are in some cases making a resurgence thanks to parents who've decided not to vaccinate their kids against these diseases. Uh, The measles is one such disease that we're seeing an outbreak of right here in southeast Michigan. There are 34 confirmed cases of Michigan of measles in Michigan this year. Uh, 33 of them are in Oakland County and one of them is in Wayne. Uh, we're talking about what should be done about that. How should we respond to parents who decide that they don't want to uh, vaccinate their kids? How should we be uh, dealing with public health policy as it, re- uh, as it pertains to outbreaks of these diseases, which we thought we had eliminated? Measles is a disease that in the year 2000, the United States declared eliminated. Uh, because there were so few cases of it. That's after decades of vaccination protocols that eliminated the disease from from common sort of uh, existence. Uh, are we seeing a resurgence of that? Are we seeing a path back to a time when people had uh, these diseases normally and sometimes died of them? As always, we want to talk with you about this as well. Call and tell us what you think about this measles outbreak in Southeast Michigan. Call and tell us what you think about the idea of parents not getting their kids vaccinated. Is that something that is an individual right that we ought to respect? Or is it something that we ought to weigh against the public value of limiting communicable diseases? Uh, We always talk about our civil rights in this country, our individual rights, uh, I think in some cases we have a hard time understanding the balance between those rights and the public good, the idea that there is a public imperative uh, voiced through government to prevent the spread of really dangerous diseases. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-577. 1019. That's 313 You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Aaron in Detroit. Aaron, welcome to Detroit Today. You there, Aaron? Can you hear me? Yep, go ahead. Well, give me a little latitude here, Stephen. For decades, we as parents have trusted the powers that be and accepted the vaccinations and all that went along with it and then started to find out some of the detriment that came with it. And so, yeah, you have parents who are opting out. But what's really being talked about here, I think, is are we going to continue to be a free and autonomous uh, uh, culture where people have a choice, Uh, uh, parents have different beliefs, and they should have or they believe they should have the right to choose uh, what happens with their children, what they uh, uh, indoctrinate their children with, whether it's physical or, or otherwise. So are we going to change into a heteronymous culture where we're dictated to, like this Sharia law type thing that uh, some Muslim countries have to deal with, or are we going to stay autonomous? Now, we know it's a real sensitive uh, issue because, like one of the callers said, uh, I had to send my kids to school, and now because these other parents are choosing not to do this, my child is at risk. But if you go that route, there are parents who believe that their uh, uh, children's spiritual and mental 
uh, uh, health is just as valuable to them or, or important to them as their physical health. And with the, some of the other things that are being uh, instituted uh, uh, into the public school system, uh, what about those parents who believe their, their children shouldn't be exposed to uh, the gender reassignment thing or some of the other things that are being uh, uh, courted into the uh, system now? What about that? Either we're going to be autonomous or we're not. It's got to go across the board. You can't selectively tell people what they can do with their children and then say they can't do it on another end of it. Yeah, you know? I think, I don't know, Aaron, I think that's kind of tough. I, I, I appreciate the, the nuance you're trying to bring to that point there. Um, but I but I do think that when you're talking about public health, it does venture into a different space. Uh, I, I, I don't think that, uh, that your rights to determine what happens to your children extend into the right to determine what diseases everyone else's children will be exposed to. I mean, I think there's kind of a bright line here that that we've drawn in this country for a long time. We eased off of it. Uh, Isn't the question whether we go back to that? And, And isn't it easier to sort of draw a line there and say, this is about disease, communicable disease, and some of these other things are are not about that. They don't carry those public health risks. Uh, to, to to me, I guess that that's a brighter line than uh, than I think you're drawing there. But Aaron, I really do appreciate the call and the comments. I want to welcome uh, another voice to the conversation here. Uh, Dr. Howard Markell is an award-winning and New York Times best-selling author. He's the George E. Wants Distinguished Press Professor of History and of the History of Medicine and Director of the Center for the History of Medicine at the University of Michigan. Dr. Markell, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, he's also a pediatrician, by the uh, way. Also a pediatrician. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Another relevant point uh, in this conversation. Um, I, I want to talk with you just a little about the history here of the of the measles disease, but also other communicable diseases, and sort of how we came to a space where we could say these are not much of a threat anymore in this country. Uh, How did we get from where we were to where we are? Well, the answer is simple. It's a one-word answer, vaccinations. And, uh, you know, if you were, we were having this conversation uh, in 1900, the reality would be that uh, one out of five American-born children would die before their first birthday and another one out of five would die before their fifth birthday. And almost all of those were caused by what are now known as childhood infectious diseases. We don't see measles or mumps or even chickenpox, let alone polio, diphtheria, and so on anymore uh, in the United States. We rarely see them until recently because we have safe and effective vaccines to prevent them entirely. So a great many uh, parents and, in fact, a great many pediatricians have never had experience uh, treating these diseases. Mm. Uh, If you had to take the top 10 greatest hits of medicine over the last millennium, 9 out of 10 would easily be the vaccines. Mm. And, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of deaths, of childhood deaths, have been prevented in the last century alone because of these safe vaccines. And measles is one of them. It's not just a bunch of spots on your face like you might see in an old movie. (laughs) It makes you sick as can be. Uh, And uh, 
a, a small percentage of children will develop permanent brain damage, and some will even die of measles. So it's a deadly, terrible disease. Mm. Uh, and uh, we, the measles vaccine comes around in 1963. Uh, by 2000, uh, we're declaring that it is an eliminated disease uh, in the country. Are you surprised that in 2019, we're again seeing outbreaks of measles? I mean, given given the success of that public health effort, did we ever think we would be back in, in a space where it was resurging? Well, if you're having this dialogue in the 1970s, early 80s, we'd be talking about elimination or eradication of this or that disease, the conquest of infectious diseases. And of course, uh, whether it's because of the uh, ecology of the microbes themselves or our own behavior, uh, we never really uh, uh, kill infectious diseases. We wrestle them to a draw. But, uh, you know, some very specific things happened in the last 10 or 20 years with the measles vaccine that has changed the landscape. And specifically, uh, there was uh, a report in The Lancet, which is a very prominent medical journal, by a man named Andrew Wakefield, who Time Magazine has listed as one of the 100 worst scientists of all time. How would you like to be (laughs) accredited with that? And he he wrote a paper uh, that was based on poor data, in fact, largely fudged data, invented data, that there was an association between an uptick in autism and the measles vaccine. That has been disproved again and again and again, and not just by this lab or that lab, but by the National Academy of Medicine, by the American Academy of Pediatrics, by the American Public Health Association, on and on and on, that it's simply not the case. And yet you still see some parents concerned that this vaccine will cause harm to their children. In fact, it doesn't. There's no evidence uh, at all connecting Mm -hmm autism to the measles vaccine. So a lot of people have read this, read it on the internet, and you know, once it's on the internet, it it gains a life of its own. And um, this has led to, in some communities, uh, you know, less than 60% of the children living there being immunized against measles. You know, a few years ago, there was an outbreak in Disneyland, the happiest place on earth, not the place you expect your kid to contract a deadly infectious disease. And the reason was that in Orange County, less than 50% of those children were vaccinated against measles. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Again, thanks for the call. And the questions, uh, we want to get back to the phones here and uh, talk some. And by the way, it brings up a point that you were just saying, sir, is that these are communicable diseases. We share them. And so that your right to prevent a child from getting a vaccine does not make it uh, my uh, victimhood that I have to get uh, measles or my children have to get measles. And the only way these vaccines work is that if 90% or more of the children uh, are vaccinated, that's called herd immunity. immunity, And that's what prevents an epidemic from breaking out. Yeah. Uh, Let's go to Lorna in Troy. Lorna, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Hi. Um, I just have a comment. I'm in my late 60s, and I think part of the um, issue with younger parents is that they've never seen the diseases, and their parents haven't seen them. Hmm. My my aunt, who had the smallpox, had scars on her face. Therefore, my 
parents made sure I was immunized. I remember iron lungs from polio. I had the measles. It was not pleasant. Um, but they don't see that, so they don't realize hmm. how serious the diseases are. Yeah. Lorna, I think that's a really interesting uh, point, and I think you're absolutely right about it playing some role here. Uh, Dr. Markell, is it that we've just gotten too far away from the stark and sort of continuous reminders of how bad these diseases are? Is that one of the one of the dimensions? Yeah, I think again? that's a, a valid valid point, and um, I absolutely agree with it. Uh, we we just don't have the experience to know how deadly they are. You know, now that's like that that. Uh, statistic I was quoting earlier at the beginning of the 20th century, everybody knew somebody uh, who perhaps died of one of these diseases yeah. or at least experienced it themselves and know that I, I was sick as all get out and I don't want to have that have happen to anybody else. So we have lost, we've, we've almost done too good of a job uh, in terms of the, an institutional memory of how serious these diseases can be. Hmm. Again, Lorna, thanks very much uh, for your call. Let's go to Bob in West Bloomfield. Bob, what's on your mind? Yeah, good morning, Stephen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my daughter, when she was 17, um, had a flu vac uh, vaccination. And literally within 24 hours, her digestive system started to shut down. She ended up uh, not being able to, you know, properly digest food, so it kept on backing up. She couldn't eat. She ended up where she was weighing 98 pounds, and she literally almost died. And finally, a doctor in, uh, at U of M in an Arbor finally identified the cause after countless, you know, other medical tests. And he said, yeah, it was, it was the vaccine. On mm. top of that, um, a neighbor, next-door neighbor of mine, their child was six or seven at the time, had one of the rounds of early childhood vaccines. And again, within literally 24 hours, Stephen, he became autistic. And I know there's all this propaganda now that there's no connection between vaccines and autism, but I saw it firsthand. And his parents had no doubt of the connection between the vaccine and his immediate autistic symptoms. Hmm. So, uh, I mean, Bob, yeah, go ahead, Bob. Right now, Stephen, is that there is a huge propaganda machine if you look at what's happening on social media where people who have criticisms of vaccines are being shut down, literally, whose free speech are being denied, you've got to wonder where the real source of this is coming from. Is it really yeah. just a concern yeah. for public health? So, uh, Bob, I, I, I think that's a really great question. I am really sorry about the, the experience that you had with your daughter. Um, but Dr. Markell, address that. Well, there's several features to this. One, it, this is not propaganda. It's science. Two, um, a flu uh, a microbe doesn't cause digestive shutdown, less an attenuated one. There's a difference between an association and a causation uh, so that I don't know of any test, and I've been practicing for 30 years, that would demonstrate that a digestive shutdown could come from a flu vaccine. And in fact, that's not even likely to be possible. I'm not denying that your daughter had this problem, but to say that it is caused by it, that's propaganda because it's not based on any science. Moreover, 
autism doesn't happen suddenly in 24 hours. It can't even be diagnosed suddenly in 24 hours. So these kinds of feelings, perceptions, they may be real to you, but that does not belie the facts of science that have shown again and again and again there is no connection between autism and measles. And, sir, I have no vested interest other than the public's health to be saying this. I'm not paid by the vaccine companies or the pharmaceutical companies. I'm not part of a, a industrial complex <laughs> that uh, profits by this. Uh, this is a real problem when people say it's my free speech or it's my right. Uh, it is not your right to transpose, to, to transmit measles to uh, other people. And by the way, uh, compared to like 30 or 40 years ago, we have a great many more immunocompromised people walking around who have never lived 40 years ago. People with cancer and chemotherapy, people with HIV AIDS, people with transplants. Those people don't deserve to get an infectious disease either. Mm. That's infringing not only on their free speech, that it, 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 it infringes on their right to the pursuit to life. Mm. And so I think that's a real problem when, when, when false statistics or false information is posing as scientific evidence. And that's not what that is, sir. I disagree. Okay, Dr. Howard Markell, an award-winning and New York Times best-selling author. He is the George E. Wants Distinguished Professor of the History of Medicine and Director of the Center for the History of Medicine at the University of Michigan. He's also a pediatrician. Dr. Markell, thanks very much for being here with Thank us you. on Detroit Today. Okay, uh, that's going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow. Uh, Dan Kildee is going to join us on the show. We're going to talk about a Flintwater lawsuit moving f through uh, the courts against Rick Snyder. We'll also talk about a play about the Flintwater crisis. It is our next episode in our week full of shows about health and health policy here on Detroit today. Thanks for joining today. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will too. Remember, if you had to miss any of today's show, you do not have to miss out on the conversation. You can hear this episode and all other past editions of Detroit Today on the Detroit Today podcast. Just download and subscribe on iTunes or wherever podcasts are available. You can take us with you and listen whenever you are ready. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. I'll talk with you again tomorrow.